What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to episode three of Just Another Book Club podcast, where we will discuss The Inquiries by David Hume. I am joined by very special guest, Joey Wolfensberger, who will help me talk about Hume's epistemology and his moral theory, especially his theory of moral motivation. We'll also talk about some of our old college stories, especially a class where we were first introduced to Hume's philosophy, as well as talk about the origins of the phrase, keep studying then. So, without further ado, here's episode three, and of course, keep studying then. Okay, I'm here with my good friend, Hume Aficionado, Joey Wolfensberger. Joey, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. So, my first question, Joey, what got you interested in David Hume's philosophy? What got me interested? Mount St. Mary's University... There, that's her, that's her shameless plug. Well, that's weird. Okay, so I went to Mount St. Mary's University, and I know that that university is a Catholic school, and reading David Hume, I know he's very anti-Catholic. So could you explain further how Mount St. Mary's University, a Catholic school, got you interested in a very anti-religious philosopher? Yeah, so absolutely. So, I mean, if you had like talk about like the most popular Catholic philosopher slash theologian, Aquinas, and what did Aquinas do? He always raised objections and responded to them. Mm-hmm. So it, it's always good to have the other perspectives um, for dialogue's sake. Like you always need to have dialogue, but also to know what you believe and be able to defend your own beliefs. Um, but I, I'll give I'll give a shout out to Dr. Jordan, uh, who's uh, obviously his moral philosophy class with Aristotle, Hume, and Kant was really my first exposure to Hume altogether. Even though we didn't really read a lot of primary Hume, very very little. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the arguments I thought was, was were very airtight, and his framework was very interesting and to really dissect and work with. Um, I felt like he was a very, very good objection I could raise to the Catholic faith. Okay, that, I think that's a really good answer, and kind of the point of philosophy, if you boil Absolutely. it down. Uh, we're going to have to tell that story about that class at the end of this. We can't <laughs> avoid it. All right. Um, but let's talk about some of Hume's arguments. Uh, I guess we can start from the beginning. And the inquiry concerning human nature, the full title of his book that we're talking about, starts with kind of um, a question about how the human mind works, right? Yeah. Do you think his theory, uh, we can call it epistemology, is sufficient? Hume's fork, um, re- relations of ideas, and matters of fact. So I, I think, so my Aristotelian Thomistic bias is obviously going to show, but obviously, at least for, from my perspective, Hume's epistemology is very lackluster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he really reduces reason to, to something that, that I, I think that innately, I'll use it innately, um, despite Hume, um, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but innately we think that we have like reason something more. Um, then Hume, Hume just puts it in a place where it's kind of irrelevant. Uh, reason is and ought to be a slave to the passions. Mm-hmm. That's obviously his big uh, famous quote. Um, but, but we want to say that reason is more than that. We can actually do things with our reason other than things like have, make statements that are true just by definition or uh, just reason based off our experiences. We, we, we do hope that we have these innate kind of principles that Hume ignores. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I think his epistemology just is, that's my least favorite part of Hume's 
you know framework is just I, I I think the empiricist model that he runs with is 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 pretty lame, so to speak. Okay, so there's going to be two follow-ups. One, we'll get to. First, I'll try to save Hume and his epistemology. He does think reason has its value, especially when it comes to relationship of of ideas, where he does grant that there is some a priori knowledge, right? With you know, geometric truths, mathematics. So reason has its day there. It just it can't bring us to certain knowledge in this other area. These are uh, matters of fact. So I, so maybe we're just expecting too much of reason. Not that it's irrelevant, but we expect too much of it. Yes. Yeah, so, so really, uh, there's two ways we could go with this. We can go Kant's round, just kind of highlight reason and have this big blown view of reason that kind of is just, it's just it's, it's the end all be all. Uh, but Aristotle, I think it has a real beauty here where he acknowledges like the, the passions that we have, the emotions play a role. And I'll, I'll bring I'll bring this to the, the moral sentiments, um, because obviously I think this is a very big um, it's a very big part of Hume's framework, uh, moral motivation and reason being insufficient to make these moral kind of judgments, um, reason alone. But but really with Aristotle, you know, the reason in our, our passion should be intertwined in a way. Hume, Hume would agree with kind of maybe that statement, but in the way Aristotle uh, believes it, obviously not. Um, and so Aristotle, for like the perfect virtuous agent, obviously the person has to do good, but they also have to love that good. They can't just, um, they can't, can't be incontinent as as Kant would kind of suppose, where you, you don't want to do it, but you do it anyways, mm-hmm. out of a sense of duty. And that's that's not perfectly virtuous for Aristotle. Right. Um, and obviously for Hume, that might, you know, Hume's nowhere near in the ballpark uh, for these moral arguments. Um, no, it's it's interesting you bring up Aristotle because in the beginning, in the very first part of the inquiry, he has this little jab at these convoluted and complicated philosophies and philosophers where he says, in the days to come, no one's going to read Aristotle. No one's going to read Locke. And then he's like, we're going to read Cicero and this other person I've never even heard of. And it's like, well, you're not off to a good start, dude. Because <laughs> all we do is read Aristotle. And John Locke is way more popular than this other person who I've never heard of. <laughs> he even like he, he attacks Mellenbranch as like, well, we even read Mellenbranch still. Um, so he wasn't off to a good start. And you're right, I think his I do agree with you with his epistemology. It's it's lackluster. But again, I don't know if that's the chief purpose of his work to give a full account of a theory of knowledge. Because I think he kind of quickly, not quickly, um, but he does go into these moral arguments. And I think that's where he really, if Hume is going to have any say with authority, it's going to be, I think, his moral arguments that come in the last later part of the inquiry. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. So just the, your first part regarding Aristotle, uh, it is interesting and you can't fully blame Hume because that was a very big modern movement too, a rejection of these Aristotelian yes. um, views. Mm-hmm. And really like even like before Hume, let's take like the Martin Luther and his 95 theses, mm-hmm. all of those, a lot of those points he made was 
was very anti-Aristotle. He thought Aristotle corrupted the Catholic Church. Yes. Um, and really, we get a lot of Aristotle's philosophy, um, or at least his like like sub like transubstantiation is a, is an Aristotelian term, substance. Yeah. We get that from Aquinas, really right. baptizing Aristotle, so to speak. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I, I don't think Hume intended to spend a lot of time on epistemology. It was just kind of um, a very it was a background and his real, I like you said, his real kind of point is, is the moral motivations because mm -hmm. he looks at from an empirical point of view, just like looking at human nature and seeing like, how are we? And, and this is how I feel like we act. And the epistemology wasn't really, um, he, he, he works in the empiricist tradition, which right. I, in terms of epistemology is it's, I'll say it, it's pretty bad. Like Hume, Hume probably is my favorite empiricist. I'll, I'll say that in terms of, um, that because he doesn't really focus a lot on the epistemology side of it. He mm -hmm. actually, and, and plus if you read like Locke or someone else, I, a lot of their, their views are hard to defend um, from a purely logical standpoint. And we're assume if you use his framework, it's logically tight. Um, right. So we're going to have to, we'll, we'll shift into some of his um, moral teachings here. At the end of that, we'll have to come back and ask, does his failings on the epistemological side, which come first and lead into his moral theories, does that hinder his arguments at all? We'll come back to that question. Let's get into his moral arguments because that's where I really think um, he does his best work. So he's called a sentimentalist, right? Yes. Do you want to uh, describe, explain what a sentimentalist believes, at least in terms of moral theory? Yeah, so um, really it's that these moral distinctions are just a result of people having these feelings and he uses the example of like a disinterested spectator so if someone were to just watch from an unbiased standpoint of view had no ties into the situation at all would they have this sense of approbation or disapprobation would they feel good or bad about what's going on um this sentiment uh, our great professor dr jordan described it as like a, a snork sense um just kind of <laughs> which which is, is i i i enjoy that image but it's kind of like that it's it's these sentiments we have that will we feel good or bad about this from a purely disinterested point of view. And right. he, and, and even in that, in that sentimentalist uh, family, there are different kinds like you have motivists and um, error theorists, which uh, I would put human that category uh, as Mackie does. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm influenced by Mackie in that sense. I, mm -hmm. I do agree that he, human is an error theorist um, if we were to define them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very interesting point of view and it's, it's, it's kind of, we can kind of see it in terms of like the golden rule. Like do, how, how would you feel if someone did that to you? Kind of mm -hmm. put yourself outside the picture, um, and just look at it from a purely, purely disinterested point of view. Okay. So if virtue and vice is going to be defined by a feeling of approbation or disapprobation, how do we, or maybe we can't solve the problem of relativity isn't then our moral system just relative to feelings which are obviously going to be shaped by our cultures yes yeah, so in the error theory um when we have like a moral statement like let's say murder is wrong um it is it is an assignment of morality into like an objective morality into that act of murder um but hume Human that tradition would say that there's no, these no objective moral properties that we actually we have these inside of us and we stain the world with them. 
as we, we project our own inner morality onto the world. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a relativistic point of view because you can still have an objective. Um, th there are things that we could that we could say that are always objectively wrong, um, at least for a societal standpoint. Like we will never like something like murder, and every society across all times was viewed as wrong. Um, Hume doesn't say from like a moral kind of. There's these innate moral principles inside of us that we would say like in the Catholic tradition or Aristotle or whatever. Um, but he does say like, this is something that we acknowledge is wrong for, for various reasons. Like we don't want to die. Um, it would bring about chaos and we couldn't survive as a society. No society could. Um, so they're always wrong in that respect from a, from a human standpoint. Um, okay. But it's not an objective principle out in the world. It's something that is kind of in us. Um, hmm. And it could vary from like different societies have different moral principles. We can see that throughout history. Um, whereas like an Aristotelian would say, well, some of these can be wrong, um, but Hume, you know, wouldn't go that way. He would kind of say, you know, it's, it's, it's a, he has different categories of virtues and vices. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think there isn't a good argument. And I, I think one could validly make it about this kind of line of thinking eventually leads to relativism and it's, it's hard to defend. Um, and certainly I'm not an error theorist and I would you know, argue yeah, at the end of the day, if you keep pushing it, it's going to be hard to defend and it could lead to relativi um, relativity. Um, but I don't think Hume really uh, takes that position, um, at least from my reading of Hume. Okay. Um, his big punch, though, comes with moral motivation. Yeah. And the weight of his moral theory comes with Look, obviously, people need to be moral. And we, I don't want to say want to be moral because that begs the question. <laughs> but there has to be, and I'll, I'll say, a desire in order to act, right? And like that's, that's it. That changes the game. And ev regardless of if you're a human, after this, you have to deal with this question of moral motivation. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is my favorite argument for Hume yeah. too, because um, it, it is it is something that the argument's airtight, and it's like, which premise are you gonna like? What premise are you gonna really object to? Which which, which bullet are you gonna bite? Um, so the argument, uh, let's go to the negative doctrine. Mm -hmm. Um, so premise one: moral judgments motivate an, any agent to act. So moral judgments actually motivate us. Um, premise two: reason by itself does not motivate any agent to act. It's not motivating. Um, so therefore, a moral judgment cannot be derived from reason alone. That's really mm -hmm. the, the argument itself. And we see like moral judgments do act. Like if you see someone you know, drowning in a river, like I think everybody's gonna stop and try to do something just innately. Because um, we're gonna we're gonna view we have this innate kind of well, Hume will call it sympathy, but we kind of have this we, we see this motivation. And we see like reason, like there's things that all the time that we think that we should do, but we don't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it seems the case that reason by itself doesn't actually motivate. And then the conclusion would follow a moral judgment can't be derived from reason alone, um, as, as Hume would argue. Right. So it seems like then what he said about in, in his epistemological section, that reason really doesn't help us so much with these, it can discern different outcomes. Okay, that's fine. But it doesn't help us act morally, which again is what some previous philosophers, Aristotle and others, would have prescribed. 
Yeah, it's a pretty difficult uh, argument to deal with um, from Aristotle. And we, and we saw, you know, McIntyre in his last book, you know, kind of said that Aristotle can't respond to this adequately. And we, we need something else to really do this for us. Because it's like McIntyre argues, you know, you have Aristotle and you have Hume, and neither one of them can, you know, defeat the other. And so you're just left with two choices that could be plausible, and you just have to mm -hmm. use something else to choose which one's right. Yeah. Now, when uh, McIntyre is attacking Hume, Obviously, the burden of proof is on McIntyre to attack Hume, and, and he, he fails to do that. Yeah. Uh, McIntyre might like see that, concede that, um, yeah. and so Hume kind of wins that argument. But yeah, it, it is a difficult problem, and something that um, you know, in, in the Thomistic tradition, and I think Edward Fazer um, you know, tries to tackle it. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to claim to be an expert on Fazer. I haven't read nearly enough of Fazer to even, or even about this kind of um, problem with him. Uh, Fazer's response to it. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it is something that needs to be dealt with. And I mean, clearly, I, I don't think Aristotle would disagree that moral judgments motivate action, nor, um, I mean, does reason really motivate an agent to act? I mean, these examples all the time with things we know we should do, but yeah, is that motivating? Um, and so it's, there's some, there's some work that needs to be done. Um, I think McIntyre really, we talked about like these higher order desires and kind of what does that mean? Um, that's really a response to it. Um, but then at the end of the day, is that really sufficient? Um, it's just, you know, a problem that we kind of have to deal with because we don't want to, um, you know, just run with Hume because if we, if we just take Hume all the way down, it's a pretty bleak picture. Especially for someone who's religious because uh, you go far enough down the Humean side with morality, you're going to end up with determinism, um, which I'm sure some people are okay to accept. Um, that's all fine. That's good. But if you like Hume's theory that the passions and there has to be a desire and that's where we get motivation, you're going to end up a determinist. So there's your disclaimer. And, yeah. And what's even worse though, I mean, you could really argue if you take Hume all the way, you get Nietzsche. And, oh boy. I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, if, if you really, I, I, I would really disagree. I, I really do. Like if you, if you take this human in the totality of it, you can't just take moral motivation and just be in like a Nietzsche or mm -hmm. whatever. But I, I think if you take the totality of, of Hume's arguments and you kind of run with them as far as they can go, you're going to, you can keep going farther. Hume doesn't go the whole way and, and you're going to make some twists and turns and there's going to be some things that you're going to have to accept based <laughs> by consequence of accepting these. And at the end of the day, it's kind of like when you have this deterministic, um, bleak picture morality i mean does any of it matter i mean what 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 reason would there be and then of course nietzsche pops up and then he's you know smiling in the back with the celebrated <laughs> driven life but uh, uh, i don't know because at least hume still upholds you know morality is a thing whether it comes from us i, I don't know if that matters but it it's still there it's still important for society um, it matters, but I, I get what you're saying. I, I get what you're saying that it, that it, if you take him far enough, uh, your outlook on the external world may be a little bleaker than you know, Aristotle. Well, well, and Hume too. I, I think he would say morality is a thing. Um, but at the end of the day, well, Nietzsche, Nietzsche grants that morality is a thing. He just, it doesn't really do much. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day though, it's, it's just, uh, I think it's the consequences of these positions are going to be, you're going to see the fruits of it. 
and you're going to, and, and say you live like a human, if you live like a pure hu, a human, you know, you're not going to have, I, as Aristotle would say, a flourishing life. You're going to be kind of miserable. I think when you have your passions rule you, you're going to be a slave. You're going to be a slave to your passions. <laughs> oh boy. Hume certainly would disagree. Hume would. Hume would. Um, be first I, a I man. Think, That's the best line of the whole, out of all the amazing lines in the inquiry. Be a philosopher, but be first a man. And I know, I mean, Kant read this. Kant read this and was like, nah. I'm like, oh, come on, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean it's, it's a problem, though. Like, it, it woke Kant from his dogmatic slumber, as he said. Um, and it, it is interesting. Like, it's something that, you know, I'm a faithful Catholic. Or at least I hope I'm a faithful Catholic. <laughs> but it, it is something that gets me to think and kind of wrestle with these problems. Um, and certainly, um, I don't want to live like human. Like, Clearly, in the Catholic tradition, we don't want to be slaves to our passions. We don't. We mm-hmm. want to be, you know, we want to be free. That's kind of like what what sin is. It, it binds us down to ourselves, and we bind ourselves. And obviously, Jesus is called like the Redeemer. He frees us from these chains, um, our our slavery, and so we're kind of free. Mm-hmm. Um, but but this conception of freedom is is obviously going to be different than even a liberal kind of view, and that's yeah. and that's kind of besides the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for Hume, I mean, I. If if you really put his his philosophy into practice, I think the consequences, you I mean you can try it, but I, I mean, I I would say, and Aristotle would say, and Aquinas would say, and I think Kant would say, and, and so many other philosophers um, would say it's it's going to be a bad life, and it's, and it's like you can try it if you really disagree, try it, but it's it's not going to work out well. Hmm. Um, and McIntyre would argue too, like the, yeah. other, the extremes are Aristotle and Nietzsche. And Hume's further along closer to Nietzsche, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're going to have one. Um, and who who do you really kind of, <laughs> you know, who do you take your pick with? I mean, yeah. if you pick Nietzsche, fine, but I mean, yeah, I guess you'll know you'll know the graces by their fruits. Yeah. All right, that's good stuff. I will say uh, for people who are interested in this, obviously read the inquiry, and if you want a better response, then. McIntyre, because you mentioned McIntyre, um, John McDowell and Philip Afoot, I think are a little better in this area of trying to save reason as a moral motivation. Um, we're not going to get into them because it's complicated and it's dense. John McDowell is like the anti-Humean in the sense that he's probably the most boring writer I've ever come across. Uh, no fault to him, but you read Hume and you're just like, why can't all philosophy be like this? Just this write is, prose. It's yeah. amazing. And then you read Kant and you're like, dude, come on. This is, this is miserable. Regardless, that shouldn't affect our uh, opinions of the arguments itself. Um, we've mentioned Dr. Jordan. We took a class together at Mount St. Mary's where we studied Hume and others. Do you want to tell the story of the phrase that I'm going to sign off with, keep studying then. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's a great story. Um, so, it's the so best the con- story. <laughs> so the context is we have, it was, it was a, either a quiz or an exam, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was the exam, yeah. Yeah, the exam. And we were studying Hume and, uh, and Hobbes. They're kind of mm-hmm. debate over self-interest and, and how yeah. do we act. Um, and, and so, like, we kind of jokingly always ran with Hume. Um, uh, but but Hobbes, I didn't. I didn't. I was defending Hobbes like crazy in that class. Okay, I I was I was jokingly a human, um, yeah. jokingly. Um, but 
yeah, we, we emailed Dr. Jordan and just said, you know, we think Hobbes wins. We're Hobbesian now. And and he just responds, keep studying then. Nothing. No greeting. No, no, no greeting. No nothing. sign off. Yeah. Nothing. Three keep words. Studying keep studying then. Completely shut us down. And the irony is we had to stop studying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that threw us off. That threw us off because we were just we, – We were done. We were, we were dumbfounded. Like it, he just destroyed us. Um, Three little words. Ruined our lives. Yeah, and so we went to the quiz, and maybe foolishly, but we wrote the word (laughs) keep studying that on our arms. And, you know, he's passing out the quizzes, and and we have this all these words on our arms, like it looks like a cheat sheet. Yep. He didn't see it at first, too. It scared me to death because he didn't see these words on our arms. And we're like, he's going to see us during the exam. We're going to get like, (laughs) he's going to think we're cheating. Um, So he came around again. We made sure that he saw him. Sitting there with our arms, like, look. Yeah, just just throw it out. Um, and so yeah, he he thought it was great. And so we took it even a step further. And my aunt made us shirts. Um, and just like keep studying them, black shirts with white text. Um, just literally copy and paste of the email and walked in with them. And he yeah, it was it was he loved it and it's been a running joke since. And All actually, right. at, at the seminary, he told the seminarians because they know the story because <laughs> I wore the shirt at the seminary and they told me about the story. Oh so he, my goodness! So it, it lives on. Lives um, on. That's but, amazing. Yeah. It, it was. It was a good time. He destroyed uh, us, but I think we got back. We we good. got a little bit of our dignity back with the t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, so that's good. Joey, thank you so much. I have no idea how long we were talking. Uh, about twenty minutes, I guess. Um, but thank you for discussing Hume. Hopefully, some people will go out. They'll read Hume and. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll inspire some future humians, much to the chagrin of our Mount St. Mary's professors. But you never know. Yeah, I, I have to encourage too. Hume, Hume, he's a, he's a he's a he has good arguments, but read read more Aquinas or Aristotle. You have you have no, absolutely account. not. Read more. I don't know Kant. Read more. Uh, uh, we'll we'll there just get into this. We'll get in, we'll get into this very quickly. Oh. After we after we're done after we're done with this, I will tell you my shift in my philosophical position since we graduated till now. Oh no! I Plato will have a very special place in my heart. Plato, to quote our beloved professor Dr. Jordan, is laughably wrong. So, just put that out there. Anyway, we'll talk. We can talk after. But thank you, Joey, and. Keep studying then. Keep studying then. Pleasure's all mine.